Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle. This week I'm joined by a man on a mission, Brendan Prince. He's just completed the world's longest stand-up paddleboard journey of 4,000 kilometres around mainland Britain, all to raise vital awareness and educate people around the importance of water safety. Let's find out the whole story. Good morning, Brendan. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. Awesome. Great to meet you, my friend. You too. Thank you so much. Brendan, congratulations, first of all. But without me telling people what you've just done, do you want to tell people what you've just achieved? (laughs) Um, so i've just gained a plethora of world records by stand-up paddleboarding the circumference of mainland britain wow that is absolutely phenomenal and i I can't wait to learn about that journey and and the reasons behind it but if we go back to a child then i mean where did you grow up and what were you into as a as a kid um well i've lived most of my life now in devon but I grew up until my early university years in South Wales Okay. Um, on a farm in South Wales, which backed a river. So I spent most of my, my early years building craft, building things that tipped over, things that just tried to keep me afloat. Um, and that's where my, my love of water came because where I live in, where I lived in South Wales, the sea's not very nice because it's on the Severn estuary. Right. Um, but the rivers are gorgeous, the Y and, and, and other rivers around there. So I grew up on the rivers more than the sea, actually. Wow. Okay. And was it something from being a kid that you you were just, the, the water was something that you absolutely loved? It wasn't, you know, were you doing any of the, the usual hobbies that young people do as a kid? You know, your, your footballs, your rugbies and all those things? Yeah. I mean, I, I played team sports and I played rugby to quite a high level. But I when I started uh instructing on the water sailing and kayaking at 16 so um and that stayed with me all my life uh pretty much you know any any form of water activity i instruct in some way and have done as a 25 years as a teacher i was a PE and uh, outdoor education teacher different schools around the country yeah yeah and um yeah that's where my love of not only doing the activity but also sharing the activity with children especially um, has always been present, always been present. I mean, you're saying there that you've been teaching since you were 16. So at what age was it when you really, when you started pursuing maybe as a club or, and what was it you were doing? So my my early years, the 16 to 25, um, I got the expedition bug. Um, so I kayaked, for example, down the Indus um, when I was 20. Um, I climbed lots of, Big peaks, whether it be uh, Rangkoshi, Parbak in the Himalayas, and and did all those sort of understood about expeditions and what that was all about. Um, loved all that kind of lifestyle and, and all those things that you could do and achieve, and yeah, yeah. fabulous. And I was really putting my skills to use then. Um, and then you kind of slow down a little bit, and you get married, and you have children, and all those things. You know, your priorities change massively. Yeah, so. Yeah. Only now with my children, my youngest to be in 12, uh, my oldest 17. Um, now, I, and the, I'm going to tell you the motivation, but the motivation got so strong that I needed to do something a bit bigger and sort of put all the wealth of knowledge from expedition training 
Um, and paddleboarding, I've been paddleboarding for 15 years. Yeah. So it's something I, you know, I'm fairly proficient at. I know what I'm yeah. doing. And I can put all the skills from my sailing, my kayaking, um, my surfing. I can put all those skills with my my stand-up paddleboarding into, you know, the, the venture that was circumnavigating Britain. That's phenomenal. I mean, was anyone in the family doing this when you were younger? Because as I said, you grew kind of near, the sea wasn't great, that you were on the river. But to be so passionate about outdoors and then particularly the water sports that you're taking part in, was there was there a family member saying, oh, you know, Brendan, we need to try this together? Or was it just something <laughs> that you found by yourself? No, my father couldn't swim. Right. And you couldn't be any, you know, my mum, it couldn't be any further from her uh, way of thinking. Do you know what? I am, um, when I was about 15, because uh, in those days you had to do two weeks worth of, um, two weeks worth of job experience, yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I was, I was not necessarily at 15 doing much in the water world because in South Wales, when I was 15, was that mid, mid eighties, it wasn't really much to, to kind of do. Um, and that all my friends would go into the local accountants or, yeah, you know, yeah. working in a shop and doing all the usual stuff. And um, I thought, oh, I would be really cool just to get away from everybody for a couple of weeks yeah, yeah. and try an outdoor pursuit centre up in up in mid Wales, right? So I just I just rang them up, and they went, yeah, cool. And I just went there for two weeks, and that just changed my whole perspective of what what can be achieved by yeah, the human yeah. body. Um, I actually met a guy called Nick Farr, who was probably the most prevalent uh, cave diver on planet Earth at the time. Right. Um, you know, the stories about cave diving. Cave diving is about as sketchy as it gets. It really oh, yeah. is. Um, and sadly, he lost his life cave diving a few years right. later. But, you know, what he showed and taught me about just getting out there and experiencing life. Um, yeah, so I saved my money up and, and did my first expedition to Iceland when I was 17. Wow. Um, managed to managed to get on an expedition with the half with the army, half commercial companies as a bower boy. That was basically um, someone to use and abuse. So I was chucked into the sea at minus whatever temperature to see how my body reacted. Right. I was put in the snow. So I was just at 17, I was just this person they kind of used and abused to get information from um, and loved it. Yeah. And loved it. And, <laughs> You know, from it's going to take you one way or the other, isn't it? It's going to be a 50 50. You're either going to hate that, and I'm never doing that again, or as you said, you've you've loved it exactly. That, and I mean, we were testing equipment now, equipment then that now is like commonplace. So, Pertex, a a tire, for example, was brand new in those days, and I was wearing full Pertex and fiber par, which is kind of what, um dry robes are made of and jackets and yeah. just chucked into the, we cut a hole in the ice with a chainsaw. I jumped in and they basically kept talking to you to see how long you'd last. And, wow. you know, we did it about 10 times and I can't remember being pulled out any one of those times because you just yeah. lose consciousness. Um, you know, and my parents were very happy for me to go and do this as an experience when I was 17. Oh yeah. I'm sure, I mean, did you, you must have sugarcoated that a little bit until, yeah, I've just, you know, it hasn't been that bad. <laughs> yeah you just remember the good stuff of course <laughs> i mean when you've come back from that adventure then was it as you said you've kind of got the bug you've been hooked what was the next progression for you um well i wanted that was kind of doing stuff for other people because as i say i was this kind of barrel boy that just did you know 
So I thought, well, what's a really cool thing to do? So I managed to get on an expedition to do a bit of climbing because I was climbing a lot in those days um, and put my passion of kayaking. So I actually did the upper top part of the Indus um, when I was 18, um, which was, you know, phenomenal kayaking, you know, ridiculous conditions. Um, and, you know, when at 18, you think you're invincible. And I got rocked a couple of times within that, but I, you know, realising the mortality of human life. Yeah. But um, it was a real passion then. I thought, crikey, I need to do more of this. And it was that like, because you sent you went you you went to university. Did you then go to university to pursue outdoor education? Yeah. So I went to university and to become an outdoor education and PE teacher. Yeah. Um, you know, Marjons in Plymouth, fantastic setup for that. So we did expeditions then through the university to climb in the Alps, yeah. um, to kayak. I went to the Himalayas. Uh, I went to North America climbing. So yeah, lot, lots of stuff sort of came off the back of being in that yeah. world then, which was in those days, there weren't many people kind of doing it. It was um, no. it was the, the old guard who had massive hairy beards, halitosis and wore sandals in those days that did that type of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can picture them as well in my head. Yeah, them. absolutely. I mean, what, what's, the, what's the best place you've climbed them? Well, climbing-wise, um, I mean, there are places in America because it's warm yeah. that make make a difference. You know, simple ones like just going up Mount Washington, which, you know, you can drive to the top. Yeah, yeah. But from a, from a climbing perspective, there's loads of really cool routes there. Um, but nothing, nothing compares to climbing in uh, the Himalayas, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, where you're used to mountains kind of being – looking up at mountains this height and you get yeah, to the, mountains, yeah. the Himalayas and the mountains are just skyward, you know, it's just crazy. So we did base camp two at Rangaposhi uh, and, and that's, you know, you can see um, all the key mountain, you know, you're up, you're up, you know, at some well above, uh, you know, you, we went to 20, 21,000 feet. Um, so, you know, Breathing is difficult. It all starts to become that real danger zone. Um, But, you know, fantastic ice climbing uh, involved there. So, so probably there. um, What's a trailer like like for when you're going up that high? I mean, like you say, back in that day, the education probably wasn't, well, being nowhere near as good as what it is now. So was it a case of you went in there a little bit naive or was it a case, well, we've got a little bit of education around this and we know how we can work work on training for this and some some elements of it? Do you know what? Yeah, there was very, very little back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remembered when I did my Iceland expedition, how hard it was just trudging through snow. Yeah. And although I'd done a huge amount of running and cardio stuff, it was really hard. So I actually, which caused a lot of amusement to, to the locals in South Wales when I was preparing for the Himalayas expedition, because I knew that it was hard and how could I prepare myself for it? Yeah. I went down to the mud flats, uh, which were a mile from my house. So I can almost see the mud flats from yeah, my, yeah. my parents' yeah. farm and just literally would spend 45 minutes trudging in the mud. Right. Um, and I couldn't have wished for a better you know, because snow actually is a little bit easier to trudge through than mud is in big boots. So it was great. And I did that all the time. And, you know, the fishermen, the anglers would, would, you know, just point and laugh as this 16 year old would, and a backpack on, just trudging the mud for 45 minutes and then 
then walk home. <laughs> wow. I mean, you must have really supportive parents as well for, for being so young and saying, yeah, look at Brendan, it's, we totally support this. You, you know, we don't mind you going to ice and we don't mind you going to the Himalayas. We're, you know, and, and imagine Bank of Mum and Dad probably helped fund some of this at the time as well. Do you know what? Not not massively, not massively. It was about me wow. getting out there and getting, and it was amazing. Again, in those days, businesses weren't approached by seventeen-year-olds no. uh, who wanted to do things. So I know my first expedition was sponsored by Whitbread. I don't know if you remember that company. Yeah, yeah, uh, beer company. So they supported um, and paid for my, my one of my expeditions. Wow, um, a local accountant and and. Uh, paid for one of the other ones because they just weren't used to, you know, yeah, they yeah. had didn't have all these requests back then. So I found getting the money for things like that quite, quite easy, really, in a way that now is yeah, yeah. impossible. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's... So mum and dad, things. yeah, mum and dad, my dad just thought I was crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and would laugh and, you know, but always motivating and always yeah, helpful. Yeah. And my mum just, you know, you know, whatever you wanted to do, they'd, they'd back without any real... Well. You know, she'd always worry, but, you know, yeah, just course. like this last expedition, um, you know, she was always there to support, never to hinder. Wow. So moving on then, so you've, you're doing all these expeditions. As you said, you've then settled down, you've got a wife and you've got a family. When was it that the focus changed then? Leading, you know, I know we're getting towards the, the challenge that you've just completed, but when was when the focus changed and the challenges maybe changed? I like calm down a little bit. Living, living in Devon, uh, changing and living in Devon, um, you know, I did a lot more sailing instructing, kayaking instructing, SUP instruction, open water swimming instruction. Yeah. I mean, I was teaching open water swimming 20 years ago um, because of my surf lifesaving connections and lifeguard connections, um, you know, a long time before it became cool. Um, and, you know, back then, so many times we were rescuing people because we'd be out on the water and we'd have the kit and we'd have the rescue boat and yeah. and we'd just be rescuing people. And every year since I moved to Devon in 96, there's just been more and more and more and more and more of that. Right. To the point that about 10 years ago, I thought, right, I need to do something really in Torbay especially. So I set up the Surf Lifesaving Club. So I'm still chairman of the Surf Lifesaving Club just to train as many kids as possible. Um. But then, you know, some of the, the incidents I was involved with as a lifeguard or just out on the water on my own, you know, I started to not just rescue people, but see people drink. Yeah. And uh, then there was a situation in 2014 where, you know, I tried to help four people who drank, three people who drained. Um, and that was the pinnacle. I thought I need to do radically more here and I've got the skills and I just felt a bit of a call into myself, you know, of someone who's lived on the water all his life to sort of share as many experiences as I can and get it out there. Um, so I gave up teaching as a day job and focused on this full time. And, you know, I was, I speaking all around the country, but still banging my head against the door of trying to get the water safety message and helping this country to, you know, be more Australian in their way of thinking, because we're a much smaller Island. You know, we should be, doing all the stuff that they're doing to appreciate, yeah. now get out there and appreciate the water, but to do it safely. Yeah. So, um, you know, 18 months ago, I thought, right, I need to do something really big. What's crazy and really big? Well, how about paddleboarding around our island? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one step led to the other, and now I've got this platform and a bit more of a voice and amazing people like yourself are chatting to me. 
and you know it just it's spreading it's the fingers the the spider's web is spreading out there and, and we're getting more and more traction i mean putting that together then so paddleboard you've decided you're going to do this paddleboard around the uk to, to raise it obviously raise awareness of a vital message so people can go out and enjoy the water safely how do you even begin to put that into place you know i've organized events here in the northeast where you've got to kind of almost jump through hoops and risk assess the risk assessments to be able to do this how hard was it to organize yeah it took a solid form four months yeah, yeah. Um, to put it all together um there's a reason why it's never been done before because let's face it a paddleboard is a fantastic for surfing, it's fantastic for um, recreation. You know, it's it's not up there with the best tool to circumnavigate Britain. No. You know, it's very exposed. You're like a kite standing up there. So wind really plays havoc with what you're trying to achieve. So not the best tool, but um, it was about proving that it could be done. Yeah. It was about proving that it could be done safely. Um, a lot of people say, well, how can you be promoting water safety? And then you go and do a crazy thing like this. Well, my point is, you know, and, and I think this is something that we really need to get out. It's amazing what you can achieve if you've got the skills, you've got the knowledge, and you plan and prepare and you yeah. have everything in place. And if any one element of those are not in place, then you're totally risking yourself. Yeah. And I'm not a I'm not a fan of people who think that the RLI or the Coast Guard are there to rescue you just if you, you know, if you if if you need to have you got a scratch out at sea? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's not there. They're there for emergencies only. So it would have been a massive failure if I would have needed them in any way. Yeah, and, and then the emphasis was on me to make sure that planning was right. You know, and, and that's why it's not been done before because let's face it, there are times and places in this country that you, you shouldn't be paddleboarding. It's, it's not safe. Yeah, yeah. Of course. So it's about how do you make that as safe as possible? And that comes back to your skill level. Um, and what you can achieve and belief in yourself. And there were times when I was on the board that, yeah, incredibly sketchy, incredibly yeah, yeah. sketchy. But, you know, I knew that, and this is where experience comes in. I knew that if I paddled for another eight hours, I could get out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's no quick fixes when you're out at sea paddling like that and you've got the conditions against you. The conditions change and you can't even plan for conditions because up in Scotland, mountains make their own weather. And I'm yeah. used to seeing how that happens and how it develops. So often I would be able to uh, skirt it or get around it because I can see it developing and I know what's happening. But occasionally you'd get caught out just because yeah. you're 20, 20 kilometer outside at sea. So, wow. I mean, was there any was there any point during the journey where you you almost thought you were just going to have to bail on the on the project because it was just becoming too unsafe? And again, you're all about promoting the safety of this. Was there any point where it was like, or Brendan, you know, had that little voice inside you saying, you might have the bill here. <laughs> Do you know what? There, there were times when, you know, 23 days I didn't go on the water at all because it was yeah. too bad. Right. And that's normally mean, meaning that the conditions are just against you. you know, anything above 25 mile an hour in your face on a paddleboard just means it ain't, it ain't happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, most conditions of swell, and you, you can deal with it. It's that wind in your face. Um, but yeah, there were a couple of occasions up here in Scotland where I'm, because I, you'd go headland to headland, you can't, otherwise it would take years to go around this country if you, yeah. you follow the coastline. So you have to go headland to headland. And up there, there's loads of headlands and fingers of, of islands. And, uh, you know, it's, 
it's very different paddling conditions. And I was a long way out and the conditions changed on me. I could see it all happening. I actually paddled further out to sea to try and get away from it. Right. Um, but it hit me. And I just knew that I knew that the storm that hit me, I just had to, to weather it um, and try and hold my position for as long as possible. Um, and I was actually in that storm for six hours, just trying wow. to hold my position. And, you know, afterwards you look at all the data and I, and I lost about 20 K in that, that storm. Wow. But, you know, if I hadn't have battled against it, I might've been 150 K yeah, into the Atlantic, you know, the North Atlantic at that. So, you know, I just, I knew that I had through my training and experience, I knew I, I had that much energy in me yeah, yeah. Um, and I could get through it. It was just a case of knowing what it is and using my skill as paddling, you know, in times where actually I got off the board and held the board and used my body as an anchor right. um, because the conditions were that bad. Um, and then, and then the storm, you know, you can read it, you can see it, the storm passes and then that, that's where the hard work comes in because you then got, I mean, I paddled then for five hours just to get back, back to shore. Um, it's all a learning curve, you know, yeah. and what I saw in the way that the clouds formed on the mountains, I learned a little bit more, you know, and at times that I saw that same formation and I knew to get off a little bit quicker or to hug a little bit, you know, so it's, and what I've learned both of movement of water and, and weather conditions now are, you know, a lot higher than we were when I started. I mean, because even when you're talking about it, and I'm sure there's there's listeners who are listening to this now thinking, I didn't expect you to be so far offshore paddleboarding around the country. I, I imagine most people probably thought you hug hug the shore and you know where the waters are maybe less choppy or or maybe it's not as bad and it, it's easier to navigate. But the fact that you're only twenty kilometers out to sea to paddleboard around, like, well, that's there. I mean, is there? It, there must be times where it goes through anyway. Is there ever any panic go through your head, or is it always just trying to remain? I mean, I mean, I know the best they say it's trying to remain calm, but let's be honest with you, 20 kilometers off away from the nearest shore, I know you've got everything put in place there for safety measures, but still, you know, as you said, little things can go wrong when you're not expecting storms or whatnot. That must be wow. Yeah, I mean, you, you yeah, you you have to that's that does shock a lot of people, especially paddleboarders who are used to staying close to the yeah, shore. Yeah. Um, you know, it will literally take two years to paddle in this country if you hug the coast. You just yeah. so you 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 overcome that very quickly in that your mission is to get around and to do it safe. Yeah, yeah. And you just get used to understanding what it's like being where to see. Um and consequently, panic, I've always said, you know, panic is what kills people. Yeah. Um, it's it's very really the conditions very really other elements it's your personal panic that does that and there are many times in that hundred days where i chuckle to myself because you know the the level had just upped massively whether it be the swell whether it be trying to surf in on 12 foot waves whether it be 20k out and storms hitting you whether it be orcas coming up behind you Sneaking up on well, that was you. just going to be one of my questions. I mean, you must have seen some amazing things out there as well. And the fact you've seen, you've seen orcas when you're out there. And what, what were some of the highlights of that trip that you've seen? Because, you know, it seems to be more prominent over the last couple of years that there seems to be dolphins swimming around, the, the, the certainly in the North Sea, even up here in the northeast of England. You know, there seems to be dolphins every other, every other day swimming around. And 
you know, it, the fact that you've seen orcas coming up to play with you and whatnot, I mean, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there with the, you know, it's fabulous to see that some things are going right on our coastline in that our levels of, of seals and dolphins and whales are seem to be increasing. I mean, I I saw I saw dolphins every single day from from Wales through all the way around till Newcastle, probably. Right. And then then I'd see them every other day um, until until the south coast, pretty yeah. much. Um, wow. And it's only the sort of it just gets busier in Newcastle and that's what skills them all away. But Northumbrian coast, lots of yeah. dolphins up there. So yeah, they're those sort of those sort of things are, are highlights. Um, I get a little bit blase, you know, about seeing 200 dolphins swimming with me, because you see it a lot. Yeah. You get yeah. really blase about seals. I mean, there are some places on the east coast where there's 20,000 seals on a beach. Um, you know, when a thousand of those seals are trying to get on your board. So, you know, you get used to all that. Um, but nothing, you know, I, I saw in the Firth of Forth, I saw two whales literally having a chat with each other. Um, and the noise, it, it's it's incredible music to your ears. And right. it's you think someone's playing it because it's that clear, you know, that that whale song. Um, and yeah, of course, I saw walker whales. Uh, you know, killer whales are an amazing thing. Stunning creatures, beautiful, absolutely massive. Yeah bit of a surprise when they swim up to you um you know and 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 those moments i had three occasions where they came to see me and it was it was duskish it was night time you know it was right. into the last time i saw one was about 10 o'clock at night wow. and the pattern of the way they were coming to see me changed from coming to have a look to almost hunting me really? until the last minute wow. and at that moment i thought it's time to get off the water yeah, yeah. but uh you know they're amazing creatures uh, and just you know, whether it be seeing a, a massive Scottish stag on a beach yeah, yeah. in the northwest of Scotland or an orca or a little tiny sea otter play and you know, all these things are magic moments when you're when you're paddling on average of 10 hours a day. I bet you those are the things that must keep you going as well, along with the message, obviously, but the, when you have, have those storms, then you're seeing such amazing wildlife and beauty of nature's beauty. Those things must continuously drive you throughout the process. Yeah, massively. And there would be times when a dolphin or I never really see dolphins on their own, sort of one or two, three or four together, yeah, would yeah. stay with you for a couple of hours. Yeah, you know, exactly. seals would definitely stay with you for a, a long time. And, you know, you chat into them because yeah. you've got no one else to speak to. So, uh, you know, the amount of times I did that, um, yeah, you know, seals, seals would come and stay real close to you and you think well what's out there and you can really see that they're looking out there rather than looking at you so they're right. using you as a uh, protection you right. know so you, know, you you become very close to them i had um on the the northeast coast i had a, a large seabird which i still haven't found out what it is right quite quite goose-like large seabird and it stayed within my um stayed near my board for three hours paddling next to me and i actually went around the northeast corner um in scotland and i got about 10 meters from it and that was the first time that it moved away from me for that long and the moment that happened something don't know what just came up and got it oh, really? so it was it was hiding from whatever that thing was for yeah, you know yeah. two or three hours beforehand it obviously wasn't particularly well 
So it was having to stay in the water. And you just, you really see nature at its rawest, um, rawest take uh, yeah. when you're out on a board for so long. That's phenomenal. And then what's it like when you finally reach home after such a mammoth journey and you've completed the challenge of, of circumnavigating Britain? Do you know what? It was, it was, I was a child at Christmas. It was an amazing thing. Um, very thankful of all the people that came to support. Very thankful of the South Coast, because what I mean by that is um, you spend a lot of time on your own. Yeah. And then when I got to the South Coast, I pretty much had people paddling with me every day. So you start to get more conditioned yeah, yeah. Um, to just chatting with people and seeing people on the water. And so when I got in, as amazing it was, it wasn't a shock to yeah, me. Yeah. Whereas I think if I'd started more on the East Coast up where you're from, sort of the yeah. Newcastle area, to finish there, you might have had a whole month previous that you've hardly seen anybody, yeah, yeah. which would have been a bit of a shock to the system. Of course. Um, because suddenly seeing, you know, a couple of thousand people on the beach, I had a couple of hundred people paddling in with me, was just, you know, off the scale amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I rejoiced in what I did achieved, but also what other people had done to help me achieve yeah, that yeah. because it's such a team effort from my wife and my children through to Will and Harry, who were the ground crew with me, you know, Zoe and, uh, and Lucy back at base sorting things out on the phones, you know, it's such a team and all the sponsors and people that contributed. And, you know, I, I stayed with so many people around the country, yeah. um, you know, Newcastle way, your way. Um, we were held up for two days and, you know, one of the local businessmen paid for a lodge for us to stay in for two nights. Wow. Cause he said, look, it's terrible weather. You know, you've had it rough. Enjoy staying in there for two nights, get yourself yeah, sorted yeah. again before you go off again, wow. which, you know, when you're used to just sleeping in a van and chucking a bucket over your head to wash, was was glorious yeah you know i can imagine did it went kind of hit home the power of the message you were trying to spread when you saying you've had 200 people paddling with you as you came in you've got thousands of people on the beach is that really when you see actually the message i'm trying to spread here is is really starting to to make an impact and it is starting to reach people yeah i, I think exactly that and i think you know there were times Times up in Scotland, we get up at five in the morning and you're paddling and, and no one really comments on social media. And, and you think, well, actually, am I doing this for the right reasons? Yeah, yeah. And then you'd get you'd get a picture message from I mean, I have, you know, I've just picked one at random. I got a picture message from a lad who built his own boat for his local river. Right. And his paddle was like a lump of wood and and you know, really rudimental stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, next time I go in my family river, I'm going to wear a buoyancy aid because he never wore a buoyancy aid before. Right. So he's managed managed to get his nan to buy him a buoyancy aid when he's on the river. And, you know, those sort of things just blow you away. And you think, well, if that lad now is safer, just that one single lad, it's all worth it. Yeah, you know, 141 days of my time is worth it for one child's life. So yeah. there's more of that from what we're doing. And, you know, the message that you're helping to 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 get out there, it's hugely important. Yeah, you know, I'm a father of three little girls who love being in the water, and I think that's really important that they learn how to stay safe as well, and you know, they can they can learn from that message. No, and that's it. It's it's it's, it's so massive, and yeah, uh, yeah. it's the little things. You know, we all walk, we all, you know, too many people drown in this country. Too many people are rescued. Too many people who never had any intention to go anywhere near the water dr yeah, yeah. still drown in this country. 
because we've got so much water around it. It's getting people just to understand that they need to think about it. I think most people don't even think they need to consider it until it's too bad. It's gone, it's gone horribly wrong. And it's getting them to think, well, to check, you know, I'm going near the water, you know, do I know what to do if anything went wrong? Do I know what to do if anything went wrong with the people that I'm with? You know, have I checked tides? Have I checked weather? Have I got the right equipment? Have I got the skill level to go into what I'm just about to do? Do you think it's a climate thing as well? Do you think it's a weather thing? Because we're so used to just, the, you know, we only get to go to the beach maybe in the summer months here in the UK, certainly spring, summer, that people are so used to using swimming pools where it's a very controlled environment that they just take for granted the sea when they get in it or the rivers. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think, nat- you know, global warming, it, yeah. things are getting warmer. Yeah. September and October, you know, 20 years ago, never used to be as lovely as they are now. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also that that desire that somebody has just travelled an hour to the beach. Yeah. So when they get there, they're going to go in. Yeah, of course. Even though all the conditions are saying, don't go in, yeah. you know, but they've got that new paddleboard or they've got that new thing they want to try. And they're the you know those and and others are are the ones getting in trouble constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just about basic education. We don't have that basic education in our schools. Not our schools' fault. It's in our national curriculum, but teachers don't know how to teach it because they were never trained. So, for example, I'm a trained teacher. Yeah, I was never trained how to teach children water safety. Yeah, and yet it's in our national curriculum. They're taught how to teach maths. They're not taught how to teach water safety. So the whole point of the legacy of what we're trying to achieve with the long paddle is to create this app, which we think is a 21st century solution. Um, I think is the best solution, an app that kids can play in school. It's free to schools. They play it. The teacher plays it as well so they can get an understanding. But the teacher's version is one or two levels higher. So they always feel like they're ahead of the game with the, the children. And that to me is how we train our from an early age. You imagine if our kids were leaving at school at 18 and they've had 15 years of water safety education, yeah, yeah. suddenly we've got two generations worth that, you know, when they go to the beach, when they go to the local river, will look at it very differently to how people look at it now. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Absolutely. And the fact that it's free as well for children in schools to do is phenomenal. Absolutely well, that's what we're phenomenal. trying to achieve. That's what we're trying to achieve. I mean, I've, I've tried every method possible of teaching water safety yeah, yeah. and you know the children that we've got now they're not interested in a leaflet they will not look at a leaflet if you yeah. handed them a, the glossiest most beautiful leaflet about water safety yeah. it ain't happening yeah. they're also fine water safety you know as soon as somebody if i say to somebody i'm going to tell you about my gnarly four thousand mile expedition yeah, yeah they're like cool you know a 15 year old's like cool tell me about it if i said to a 15 year old i'm going to spend 20 minutes talking to you about water safety you know they go yeah switch off not interesting switch off so it's all about how can we ignite them so that what we're tuning is put together the games that i used to play with children and still play on the beach with children yeah, yeah. to teach them about rips to teach them about tides we've just put those games into actual games on an, on an app form yeah, yeah. Um, and you play them and they learn at the same time so it, for me there's no it doesn't i mean if someone could come up with a better idea of how yeah, we yeah. can teach nine million children i give them the money i've raised yeah, yeah. but i think this is the best idea best yeah, idea and just and I can't believe it hasn't happened already no yeah you're right i can't believe it i'm surprised there isn't something out there already but you're the pioneer for it aren't you that's that's the that's the cool thing about this 
well, let's just get it out there and make it happen. That's what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, moving forward, then, what what's your plans moving forward? You know, you've done this mammoth challenge. The the message is out there now. Is it really just you're so invested now in this, and it's about just promoting the app and getting around the country to try and educate as many people as possible now? Yeah. So exactly what you've just said. The next six months are vital to you know the legacy of the long paddle. Yeah. Um, making it work and I'm, I'm, I'm visiting I will be visiting hundreds of schools hundreds of businesses trying to get an investment for this app to make it happen because it needs to be free to schools that's the way we're doing it um, you know to make that happen but at the same time you know I'm getting lots of requests and there's lots of people are throwing me lines about what I could do for, for a challenge next year and I've got to keep going so there will be something happening there's lots of really cool stuff it's, it's a funny one. I'm, I won't spend four and a half months away from my family again, but yeah. there are challenges out there that I can do on a board in the water that um, are equally as exciting. So yeah, yeah. it's a watch this space thing. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, what was your what was your wife's reaction when you said, look, I'm, I'm going to go and paddleboard around the UK and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good, good third of the year that I'm away. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, I, I sold it on the premise of three months rather than four and a half months. <laughs> um, but she's super supportive. Hey. The way COVID, I mean, the, there aren't any benefits from COVID, of course, but the benefit for me was that I had this chunk of time yeah, yeah, of course. that I could put to something that normally I'd never have yeah. um, and try and turn a negative into a positive. So I jumped at that chance, really, at that sort of three months because I'd hope to try and do it in 90 days, but, you know, the, the weather on this yeah. island has something else to say about that. Yeah. And I had a particularly windy year, no matter what the government says about not being able to produce enough energy because it wasn't windy enough. Trust me, on our coastline <laughs> this year, it was windy the whole time. I love that. I love that. I mean, what would your one piece of advice be to somebody who, just in life in general, not even not even so much around water safety or the or the challenge that you took on what what would just be your one piece of advice to somebody do you know what our, our our world i think especially in britain on one hand is all about promoting and you know get out there and fulfill your potential and all these things and then on the other hand they're trying to pull the rug from you underneath you the whole time um there's just as many people who try and be positive but are as a negative yeah. and it's all about understanding yourself and what you have to give and you have to have a motivation to do something like I've just done. Yeah. You know, I don't understand it. I mean, how you would get up at four or five o'clock every morning for 141 days if you didn't have motivation. Yeah, of course. I don't know. So it's all about just believing in yourself. And no matter what age you are, you know, I'm 48. Um, wow. You know, and I can do that. So, and I still plan to do it for the next 10 years. So, you know, age is a number. Um, people will I'll always try and put, blocks in front of you walls in front of you it's amazing what you can achieve if you put your mind to it but also if you if you get others to support you as well it's it's all about being a team in so much in life so much in life so yeah it's you know get out there and do the thing no matter what people say to you and uh, especially and there's a big one is breathe learn to breathe correctly is a big thing with any challenge that you do yeah. whether it's physical whether it's this fear learn to breathe and you can cope with so much more. Wow. Thank you very much. And what's the app called in case people want to go and check that out? 
So we still haven't got a name for it. Okay. Um, if you, there's so many complications to naming an app. <laughs> I can imagine. As you can imagine. Um, but if you check out the longpaddle.co.uk, yeah, yeah. that will give you lots of information on what we're trying to do and achieve. Um, and we're hoping that will be free to schools for next September. So we've got a big wow. year ahead. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Oh, well. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I've loved learning about your journey. Congratulations again. Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate your time and what you're doing and exciting and you're good at it. So, you know, I'll be excited to watch watch more of your podcasts. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.